Well, welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. Hope you had an awesome Christmas and looking forward to the new year coming up here really quickly. We're going to do something a little bit different today. If you were with us for our episode on Tuesday, Paul Hugabart had talked about what it looks like for a church to really change from more of an attractional model and move more to a disciple-making model. This is the Q&A time that came out of his talk at the 2022 National Forum. And some of those questions were really hard to hear people and what they asked live in the room. So I'm going to go ahead and take those questions, kind of re-ask them, and let's just check out what Paul has to say. So the first question is somebody just asked for some clarification on principle number four. They asked Paul to be able to give an example of what that really looks like. So let's go ahead and check this out. So principle number four, I'll just give you, I'll just give you one. So uh, just at a staff level really quickly. So this is just a very general uh, one. And we, we could actually give more as, as far as this is. Um, I, I can give you several, in fact. So we lost our uh, executive pastor during, during COVID, right? He went and took another church. That was great. So he, he went and he's the leader now of a church. As we're sitting there, we know that that's going to leave a giant hole in, in the, the organizational uh, operations of our church system, big hole. We started praying about it and, and God started impressing upon us that we needed to figure out a way to manage that administrative stuff and bring it, bring in somebody instead with those staff dollars that would help us do discipleship and disciple making. So we went and actually got a guy who had been a church planter, who'd been doing disciple making stuff, brought him into our context. And we've been figuring out the stuff that the executive guy did um, and really stumbling and fumbling at it most of the time, which shows how valuable he truly was to the operations of our church system. But we needed somebody to help us to help take us further at a leadership level as it related to disciple making. That's what we needed if we were going to be faithful. We didn't need to make sure that everything in the building was done just right and that we never ran out of toilet paper and other things that he did such a good job of making. And he managed a whole lot of other things as well. Um, but, but that's one way. Um, also, when we, uh, when we pay off our debt, Actually, when we just paid off our debt at the end of last month, we're taking that money and we're immediately putting that money, rolling that into disciple making efforts, whether it be church plants, sending, sponsoring others, whatever that happens to be. We want to invest that money in disciple making. So it definitely, definitely changed. We had a going into COVID right prior to COVID. We were preparing for a four and a half million dollar building expansion. We canceled all of that and said, look. There's better ways we can spend this money to pour into disciple making, invest in disciple making. So we we haven't done any of that stuff. So that, that's one way. The second question that another person in the room had asked was how a church can go from being focused inward in a small group to being focused outward. I think in my own experience, this is something that I've seen. It's really hard, you know, in small groups to really focus outward because they're really uh, in a lot of ways set up usually to focus inward and grow inward, which isn't a bad thing. But I think it's a great question that someone poses is how do we take this and focus more outward? Yeah, so we've we've contextualized these eight principles for small group life as well. Um, I wish I had thought about that and that I would have had that that I could show you. Um, we can connect afterwards and I can send that to you. Um, so again, bringing in this, bringing in our uh, discipleship guy, he's done some amazing things with the way that we think about small groups and the way small groups engage. So um, if you think about small groups, most small groups in most churches, small groups engage for two primary purposes, to focus inward, love each other well, and to help each other focus upward. So we're going to help you grow. We're going to love you really well. 
What very few small groups actually do is focus outward, and what even fewer do is focus forward. Let me explain that to you real quick. An outward-focused small group says, how are we making disciples together? How are we as a small group investing in the mission and making disciples together? Um, all new small groups at Grace Chapel have to declare that piece, how they will make, how they plan to make disciples together, how they hope to make disciples together. So if we get two new leaders or two new families who are going to lead a small group together, they'll come have a conversation with us and they'll say, here's our plan for making disciples as a small group. And then the forward piece is, here's our plan for multiplication as a small group, how we hope to multiply. Now, does it always happen that way? Uh, We're not into this too long, but you know, in in roughly a year or more, does it always happen that way? No, it doesn't. But at least what it does is give them the idea right at the beginning that they're going to be making disciples as a small group together and that they are going to multiply and they get to develop the plan for multiplication. We actually have eight different ways that groups could multiply. um, And there's a reason for that. We can talk about that a little bit more outside offline if you want to. Uh, But we want to give our groups a number of ways that they can multiply so that we're not being too heavy handed in how they multiply. But all groups need to have a plan for multiplication, new groups. we did have probably 50% of our groups that said, we don't really want to do that stuff. And we said, okay, that's what you want to do. You don't have to do it. But eventually, as our multiplying groups are going to continue to multiply, um, the percentage of groups that don't want to do it gets smaller and smaller. I mean, that's just the way it goes. And so, uh, as a friend of mine says, um, they've done a very similar thing. They've adopted this principle of kind of somewhat benign neglect in, in relation to the groups that, that don't want to change. We're going to continue to love you we're probably not going to have lots of stories to celebrate out of what's happening in and through your group. Yes. You're making wonderful meals together. Keep doing that and have the good fellowship. That's great. But we need to be more than just small groups who build each other up. We need to be small groups on mission as well. This person who was listening in the room asked Paul, what particular tool is the most helpful tool for the average person to really be an on-ramp to disciple making and multiplying? Yeah, so um, we do we do use a DBS style. We use the three thirds method, which is not so different from DBS. It has the look back, look up, look forward approach. Um, so it's easy to remember. Uh, we have two questions under each of those uh, designations, and it, it is very similar to DBS. It's the idea of you know what did you do last week to share? Um, how are you obedient? Then coming into reading the scripture together, reading it again, retelling it, all of that. What, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about people? What do we need to do? How, do, how are we faithful? Is there anybody that we need to share this? So it's a very similar progression. Um, we've actually, again, our discipleship guys done a really good job of uh, building some bridges. And actually for, um, for one of our previous series here just recently, he wrote an entire DBS dialogue for some of our leaders to walk through and see how that might happen as they walk through that. We create bookmarks that go along with each series, very similar to what uh, you guys, Don, do over at North Boulevard, uh, Glenn as well. Um, we create bookmarks with each series so that they are debriefing, digging deeper into what we talked about on Sunday morning so that it's not just a standalone message on Sunday morning. We're taking and hopefully seeing life application out of that and so that it's we're all moving together in a certain pathway. Now, again, not everybody's doing that, uh, but uh, but more and more of our groups are. Is that, does that help some? And especially the bridge sometimes, folks who haven't done DBS before, um, also this coming month, and this is uh, actually Jeff Durler, who's right there in that classroom. If you wanna have a conversation with him about this, uh, you could. Um, we're, this coming month, we're actually gonna have a three-thirds group model 
for the message portion on Sunday morning. So we're going to get uh, several of us are going to be up on stage every Sunday morning, actually walking through the section of scripture to model for some of our folks who are still a little bit unsure about uh, the three thirds of DBS model, exactly what that looks like. And so I'm not going to be preaching next month. Uh, in November, we're actually going to be leaning into the DBS model, the three thirds model and doing that live for folks. So they see what that looks like. And then hopefully they walk away saying, oh, I can do that. That's not so difficult. That's not so hard. So so we're trying to do some things that are on ramps and bridge bridges to that. Jeff, Jeff did that uh, this past summer. So they've already experienced it. So he could talk with you more about that if you'd like to. Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. As a ministry leader, you know your space matters and you want it to be engaging and effective, but maybe you're not really sure how to make that happen. I'm Abby Barris, designer and ministry veteran, and I'd love to help you figure that out. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more about how to begin shaping your spaces for intentional discipleship. This listener asked about the radical dependence on the Holy Spirit that Paul has been talking about. They wanted to hear stories of churches that had kind of really made the shift to maybe talking about the Holy Spirit, but not really leaning in, having a radical dependence. Uh, you know, churches that maybe not used to that. So what does this shift look like in a church? Yeah, so so it's not so unusual anymore for churches to maybe, you know, kick off the first of the year with a time of prayer and fasting and have a theme that they're rallying around. And so there are a lot of churches that are starting to do that. So that's not too far a bridge uh, to jump into the idea of prayer and fasting to be more reliant upon the Holy Spirit. It definitely needs to be guided and led well from the leadership level so that you're explaining to people why you're doing what you're doing. Um, Shadonke Johnson talks about this also, that when, when we move into this, um, this can be very intimidating to folks who haven't spent any time doing this, especially when you hear what they're doing uh, in Sierra Leone, Africa. In fact, um, there's an, another article I did on discipleship.org that is actually talking about Shadonke's rhythms of prayer and fasting. Um, and I don't, I don't have the link to that one, unfortunately, but uh, really good to see the way he does what he does. But, but just to see what he does can be very intimidating to us. So we need a bridge to it. So let me give you just an example of uh, how we led our folks through this at the beginning of the year. Uh, so we had a series that, that very much was about us engaging God, engaging his presence, being dependent upon him for the sake of the mission moving forward. So we challenged our folks to join us in fasting and prayer, we gave them a whole lot of different ways they could fast, potentially, uh, including ways that weren't necessarily fasting from food. Now, I think uh, biblical fasting tends to be about abstaining from food, but we wanted to give our folks an on-ramp to say, okay, I can do that. I can participate. I can try. So some folks, you know, who gave up maybe television for all 21 days or gave up social media, whatever it was, some folks who gave up an hour or two extra of sleep so they could get up to pray, but weren't necessarily giving them food. A lot of people did give up food uh, during that time, but we also invited them to pray two prayers daily with us that everybody as a church was praying together. The first is uh, the prayer from Luke 10:2, which is the sending prayer. It's um, and so we pray that at 10:02 every morning. Now that that's something that's not unique to us or original uh, to me. That's something that uh, that I borrowed from Curtis Sargent. Um, every day at 10:02, uh, 
He prays the Luke 10-2 prayer every day at 10.02. I pray the Luke 10-2 prayer or weekdays. My alarm goes off. Um, at 4.36, I'll have another alarm that will go off. And I pray Colossians 4, 3 through 6. Now we invited our entire church in to pray that. So I want you to think about what happens as a whole church is praying together, praying and fasting. They know they're praying together at 10.02 and 4.36 every day. And at 10.02, they're praying, God, would you raise up workers to send into the harvest field? Because we still believe that the harvest is plenty, but we believe that the workers are few. Imagine praying that for 21 days and what kind of effect that starts to have on you. And you start to question, wait a minute, the workers are few. What does that mean? Oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be a worker and we're few. And then you're praying at 436 every day. You're praying Colossians 4, 3 through 6. And you're asking God, God, would you open doors for the message? Would you give us the ability to turn around and communicate that message clearly? God, would you be the one, God, that that brings opportunities our way? And then would you help us make the most of every opportunity? Would our conversations, God, that we have be seasoned with salt so that we might have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? And we've added a prayer to that. um, and, And I'll be honest, not. So many of us are doing that and it's, it's a struggle, especially for me. I'm, I'm not a morning person. I like my sleep. Um, and so when my alarm goes off at 4.24 a.m., I sometimes don't necessarily want to get up. But at 4.24 a.m., uh, and it started just this way, from 4.24 through 4.30, I would get up for six minutes and pray. That's it. Praying Acts 4.24 through 30. And that prayer is a powerful prayer where we're asking God, God, would you, would you help us be bold in spite of all the challenges we face? Would you help us speak your word boldly? And then God, would you show up? God, would you do things that only you can do? Signs, wonders, miracles, whatever you call them. God, would you do things, the things that only you can do? And then at the end of that text is this, this ask, this beg. I mean, we see what God did and respond. I mean, we ask God, God, shake, shake us. Shake the places where your people meet and shake your people. And fill us with your Holy Spirit and then give us some more boldness, God, so we can go and do the things that you've called us to do. That started, I'd just, I'd wake up, I'd pray that for six minutes and then I'd go back to bed. And it it developed into a rhythm and a habit that is most of the time, probably like 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. And sometimes I don't get to go back to bed and it's okay. It's good. It's rich. It's what it needs to be. And so we develop these rhythms and habits of prayer that allow us to become truly dependent upon the Holy Spirit for his work. It's his work anyway. God's the Lord of the harvest. I mean, at some point in time, we decided that we could be the Lord of the harvest by using great methods and having really talented people, right? God's always been the Lord of the harvest. So we put him back in his proper place and we start looking and we say, what, how can we do what we need to do? Be your people, be the ones who are sent, that kind of thing. The fifth and final question that a listener had for Paul is what is your experience taking discipleship material into the harder spaces? So outside the church, what does this really look like to take a DBS type study or another study material and, you know, put that in a small group environment and then take that out? Let's go ahead and check out what Paul has to say. What what we discovered pretty quickly, there's a danger in doing in doing this, there's a danger in, in the DBS stuff. If if you do, if you get to the end and and you say, "Here's what I'm going to do to obey," and "Here's what I'm going to do to share," and then you come back week after week and nobody's obeyed and nobody's shared, you actually develop a culture that may be worse than the culture we're leaving behind. Right. So we need to we need to be faithful. We need to share. And so 
Um, we, we are now baking into the system um, a call upon our small group leaders to be engaged with their folks throughout the week to send, you know, I send out every week to our small group folks. I send out the things that we committed to do and the things that we, you know, the, to obey and to share and to say, Hey, let's be praying for each other. Let's be following up with each other. So that's the first piece is we need to make sure that we're not actually establishing a culture that is no better or maybe even worse than the one that we are trying to leave behind where we're now saying we're going to do this. And then we turn around and we don't do it. Uh, the second thing is this, is to realize, you know, if I could put up here the, the bell curve for innovation adoption, what we tend to do, especially those of us who preach and, and sometimes maybe we've made preaching an idol. And so we've even tried to, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with trying to become a better communicator. I, I've invested time and money into that. But what we do is we put so much trust in, in our abilities to communicate that we take that whole bell curve. And uh, there, there's a book that's uh, it's I'll have to think about the name of the name of the book. And it's, it's leaving my mind right now. Um, the idea is this, when we rely on just communication to try to bring about change, all we're doing is dumping information onto hundred percent of our people. And we very rarely see results in that. How you see systems change is you begin with a small group of people. And then you see this linear diffusion throughout the system as bit by bit, there is change that's established. So we began a pioneers group as I was talking about, we began this pioneers group. We looked around and we said, okay, we've got 600 active folks. What do we need to do to get a pioneer group together? Oh, that's only 15 people. All right. So within our context, we're not a particularly large church, larger than some, smaller than others, but two and a half percent is not that large of a group. So we're going to get these pioneers together, folks that we know are already doing this or have a deep heart for it. They just need to get around some other folks who are doing it. Let's get those folks together. 15 folks. We actually were able to start with 22, 23 people. So a little bit more than the two and a half percent. And we're watching that group grow as we've told, as we told those people, we meet in this upper room, Glenn, you know, where the upper room is at Grace Chapel. And we, we meet in the upper room on Sundays. We talk, we pray, we share, um, we, we share stories. We pray over the people where there are opportunities. We're seeing that group grow because we said, this is not an exclusive group. It just, the, we, you're the people we know that are doing this. And so if you know somebody else that's doing this or has a deep heart for doing this, you can invite them into this experience. And we've watched that group grow week after week after week so that now that pioneer group is really actually becoming pioneers plus a percentage of our early adopters, you know, so that maybe we're moving from two and a half percent to five percent and then to seven percent and then beyond that. And again, remember, again, just observationally, the tipping point to see cultural change is typically roughly at 16 percent. So we start to look around and we're like, man, we're halfway to what tends to be a tipping point for culture to where we can see the dynamic shift. And no longer are we just an attractional church saying, come and see. But we really are now turning into the people of God who also go and be. So that's just one of the ways that we've tried to embrace that is get the people together that are doing it and allow them to bring other people into that experience. Develop a group where there's prayer, anticipation. So. Make that true about a, make all these eight things true about a percentage of your church. Maybe it's not true about 100% of your people, but what if it was true about two and a half percent of your people that became five, that became 10, that became 20? And the next thing you know, you've got a culture that is that looks completely different than the one that you had maybe two or three or four years before. So again, start small, then big. That's Shadonke's principle. It's the principle of behavioral change. All of that definitely is true. 
Well, thank you so much for listening to the Real Life Theology Podcast hosted by Renew. Again, I'm Chris. I'm really just blessed to be able to host this podcast and really excited for the new year, what we have coming up. Again, today I wanted to do something a little bit more simple as we close out the year. I thought Paul's answers to these questions were really good and insightful, so hopefully you did too and you can take some awesome stuff away from this. We're going to start back up in January with some new podcast material, so looking forward to joining with you then. Make sure to check it out.